Welcome to the Canon Law Society of America podcast, where Catholic canon lawyers share their stories, their knowledge, and their love for the law. Now, here's your host with this episode's guest canonist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first podcast of 2022. We are enormously pleased to welcome today's guest canonist, who happens to be the 2021 recipient of our Role of Law Award. Father Michael Joyce was ordained in 1976 as a priest for the Congregation of the Mission. Very next year, he received his licentiate in canon law and in 1992 earned his doctorate from CUA. The Role of Law citation will be posted alongside this podcast, so I encourage you to read it because there's lots more. We're going to talk a little bit more about his background. So welcome, Father Mike. Hello, Donna. So tell our listeners a little bit about the before we even start, the Congregation for the Mission, what, what's your congregation's history in a nutshell? Okay, we were founded by St. Vincent de Paul, basically to uh, evangelize uh, poor country people. And in the course of that work, uh, he found out that uh, the diocesan priests were not adequately trained to assist the poor. So then we got involved in the training of priests that that's why we came to this country. And in this country, we're known as Vincentians. And uh, we primarily were doing seminary work. And now we're returning to our original charism of the evangelization of poor people. Okay. And you sponsor at least one university here in the United States, one of the biggest. Actually, not three. The three. So the biggest, which is DePaul, am I correct? Yes, of which I'm fortunately a member of the corporation for DePaul University. And then the second largest, St. John's University in New York, and then Niagara University in Northern New York State. Wow, so you've got a lot of influence on these young people who are being trained today. Wish more of them would uh, would consider uh, attending those universities. So let's, let's talk a little bit um, about your role of law talk. And I'm, again, I'm encouraging people who have not listened to it to do that. Um, you wrote your talk after you were told that you were the role of law recipient and you talked about synodality. So that was so timely and you were writing that probably maybe a little less than a year ago. Do you have any additional thoughts on synodality since you wrote that talk and gave it in October? Well, I, now, you know, people, I think, hopefully are beginning to actually engage in the process that was extended. Uh, I was just talking to some people uh, before this about how the syn synodality process is being done in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. And we're not dealing with it directly, but I think we're dealing with it in a more practical kind of fashion because we're engaged in a, a strategic plan to move uh, the church in the Archdiocese of St. Louis from what uh, the Archbishop, Archbishop Brozanski calls the immigrant church of 1850 to the church of 2050. And so there's a great effort to get everyone in the Archdiocese engaged in this discussion which I think does tie with what Pope Francis is trying to call us to exercise at a universal uh, level. So tell us a little bit about how you came into 
first of all, deciding to be a priest, then the dissension or vice versa, whichever one came first. Tell us about your background. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm a child of the 50s. So uh, from first grade on, I wanted to be a priest. And then like many of my classmates, I just kept thinking about being a priest. And uh, so um, I ended up going um, to the um, archdiocesan seminaries, high school, seminary, college. Um, and I'm, I have to be real honest, I was not overly impressed with our Vincentian faculty members. And uh, until I got to theology, and we were very close class, uh, I'm going to brag a little bit and say like, Cardinal Dolan is a classmate and a good friend of mine. Uh, and we were really close. And then as I was approaching our nation, I thought, I don't think I can do this all by myself because we were all gonna go our separate ways. And as I was looking around, I saw the Vincentian priest at the seminary and at theology, the, the men who were there did impress me. So I decided that, to join them then. And um, so my, uh, we call it internal seminary or novitiate was rather strange because I was coming so late in the process. And uh, so in the course of it, I already had one institute of ministry and I needed another one. And so I was talking to the provincial about it and he explained to me why he didn't think it was such a good idea, all that. And he finished and I said, well, Father, thank you. I can really understand the way you're thinking everything. And he said, that's the way I teach canon law. Think about it. <laughs> ah. So th then I did a summer program and he came through at that time with a good friend of his, Father Mark Saeed, who taught canon law at the Angelic Monroe. And he introduced me to Father Saeed as our next canon lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Planting so, that seed. <laughs> so I didn't even get a voice of this. <laughs> <laughs> So it wasn't really a twist of the arm behind the back, but it was just sort of a nudge in that direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, I'm so, so grateful to him. And uh, ironically, he uh, was very important. Um, he ended up working in Rome with the uh, revision committee uh, on societies of apostolic life, which our group is part of. And in a way he, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he came up with the term societies of apostolic life. They had about 12 other terms that were considering at that time. The Second Vatican Council happened in there by the time you were thinking about becoming a priest. So what are your memories of the Second Vatican Council? Well, again, it started, well, I was very fortunate. I so much life. Uh, we were taught in eighth grade about ecumenical councils and religion classes. And then when I got to high school, the council was going on. And so we, and as a matter of fact, the, the seminary rector at the, uh, the major seminary here was a paritas for Cardinal Ritter, who was one of the outstanding American participants. Um, but uh, actually, you know, uh, in, in the formation or my personal formation, when I went to uh, off the site catalog, we had to study the 1917 code because that's what was in effect. 
And uh, I would suspect all of our professors were probably on the revision groups. And so they would come back and we'd have to learn what the revision was going on. And so we're kind of caught in between. Um, but, but um, yeah, that's sort of a, almost, you could kind of liken that to this idea of the Senate that they would come back and talk to you about it and then maybe listen to your ideas and then go back or <laughs> incorporate changes. So that's yeah, a, right, yeah. a fascinating kind of thing. So right after you got your JCL then, what was your superior's idea for you to be the next candidate? What was your assignment or what happened then? Believe it or not, it was uh, Director of Campus Ministry at DePaul University. <laughs> and the first and only chaplain of the basketball team to take them to the Final Four of the NCAA. Oh my goodness. So your career is so diverse. Um, yeah. I think you've had pastoral practice, you've had practice in tribunals, you worked You've had more careers <laughs> yeah, built into right. one person than, than I can than I can think of. Uh, so tell us a little bit then about the 80s and the 90s. And then eventually you ended yeah. up in, I know when I met you, you were in Memphis. So Right, yeah. Well, then uh, what happened was um, I, I became I, very sick and uh, I had to take some time out. So then it was when I recovered, it's what am I going to do? And at that time I was serving as well as a field advocate for the tribunal in Chicago. So then uh, I said, I can do more cases. And then they realized this guy's got a degree. <laughs> so uh, then um, I was interviewed by another role of law awardee, Monsignor John Dolchamore. And he hired me to uh, work for the tribunal in Chicago. And that, that was a tremendous experience because at that time, um, the early 80s, um, it, they were really kind of, I, th I think we may have had the highest caseload in the country at that time. So I, I learned a lot there. Oh, absolutely. experience. And then after Chicago, you went. Well, that's when I got back into teaching uh, and law and doing formation work. Um, I, I worked with our own seminarians and then taught also at the seminary in Denver. And uh, then I went off to get my doctorate in the 90s. I came back and I was originally scheduled to then teach at the uh, seminary here in St. Louis. But then there was this interim period. So I did some work for the archdiocese. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the judicial vicar, who I knew because we were just a couple of years behind in diocesan seminary, uh, he came into my office. Len never came into my office. I always went into his. <laughs> <laughs> he shut the door. <laughs> I go, okay. He goes, Mike, I'm leaving the tribunal. I said, oh, Len, that's good. You know, you need a break. It's good to get into something else. He goes, I'm leaving the priesthood. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> so um, so he did and uh, we were pretty minimally staffed at the time so the archbishop then asked me uh, well he told the seminary rectors I wasn't going to come to the seminary and then he told me I was going to become the judicial vicar <laughs> oh my goodness yeah 
Yeah. So, uh, so then um, I did that. And then, uh, as you mentioned, then I came down to um, Memphis, uh, worked with uh, Bishop Stein, and, uh, and we had an opportunity to work on some cases. You were very good. Yes, that's, that's the, uh, metro, the metropolitan, same metropolitan area. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so I was, I was in Memphis for 10 years. Then I was asked uh, to become the uh, director of our retirement center. So I took that on. It was a great honor. And I, it was it was fun, too, because I got to tell a few of my uh, brother Vincentians who taught me, this is my payback time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good uh... Good way to kind of say, all right, you better be on your best behavior. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> You're also in Denver. Maybe you mentioned that. What What did you do in Denver yes. for the Archdiocese of Denver? Was that a tribunal position? Yeah, well, uh, I just served as a judge. It was, again, just part-time. And I, I, I enjoyed tribunal work uh, because of, of the good that it did people. Mm -hmm. And really, I was thinking about this earlier this morning is in preparation. One of one of the things I really treasure is former students telling me that I taught them the pastoral dimension of Ken Law. Absolutely. That, that it could be a benefit, so. Many of the priests in my class would also be in a parish so they could kind of keep their feet, their you know, yeah, grounded right. while they were studying. And so you had many experiences, many students and things like that. So. What about someone who might be thinking about studying canon law today? What's the, what's the reason you would say to them, do or don't go study canon law? To me, canon law is essential. And not in the sense of the, you know, you bring a hammer down on people, but rather because uh, the church is a group of people. And uh, one of the things I really, I mean, there's so many things I admire about Pope Francis, but in his first exhortation, he bent about a paragraph or more uh, saying how important it is to be a politician. And you know, the church being a group of people, we have our interpersonal relationships as well. And we need something to guide us in those relationships. And that's what the law does. And if it's used well and understood well, it promotes people and helps them to develop and makes our relationships healthy rather than destructive. So that's what I'd encourage people for. I want to talk a little bit about your, your acceptance remarks. Some things struck me and that. One of them was just the imagery that you use. Um, the idea of uh, walking along on a journey beside each other reminds me of the road to Emmaus, but you mentioned we don't have a GPS. I mean, and that that's very profound. I mean, if, and you mentioned canonists throughout it. I like the way you tie this in. So what would you say to canonists who are preparing for the Senate? Is there any particular thing that you can think of to give them advice on how they can prepare themselves or help prepare others as the Senate on synodality is being talked about and prepared? I, the only thing I have to say to my sisters and brothers is what I say to myself every day about synodality and this practice. Shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> so my um, tendency is I've got no opinion on everything and I want you to hear it but what I want to do is I I need to hear your thoughts and listen to them mm -hmm. not just mm -hmm. enough to hear 
but I got to really understand what you're trying to express. Yeah, we can't stress that enough, can we? That people that we need to listen because sometimes we think, oh, I'll listen, but I'm still going to do what I originally thought. But right, yeah, I've got my mind made up. <laughs> yeah, so I'll go through. I'll go through the motions, but well, and, and that's one of the things you know with all the things that Pope Francis has been saying this year. It's really hit me that if if we get everybody talking and everybody listening something might emerge that nobody else had thought of just mm -hmm. by bringing all these different ideas together. And that's yeah. where Pope Francis would say, that's where the spirit is acting. Mm -hmm. None of us came up with this, but because we allowed ourselves to be vulnerable with each other, then the spirit was able to blow through and blow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Another image that you mentioned was, um, the your sister sister Stephen Marie who drew the triangle on the board and, and you know how she talked about that the hierarchical uh, image yeah, and right, yeah. and in you, you I think in your talk you mentioned that that diagram depicted the ecclesiology from the mid 16th century to the mid 20th century and I'm thinking I think there are some who still have that image yeah, oh yeah yeah they're still moving away yeah yeah and and, and for her to have put whether she was saying you know the sisters are down here because. Yeah of a lowliness or whether it's really because that's the foundation, you know, of what everything else is built on from the, the grassroots, so to speak, to come up with religious yeah, yeah. And, and societies. And I think you, uh, the, those of you who are in religious life and societies have so much to teach all of us about that idea because you live it on a daily basis. But I appreciate that is where you were saying about, you know, Sister Stephen Marie's thing, playing the sisters about as maybe she was talking about them as the foundation. Boy, that's the truth. Still the truth today. Mm -hmm. Very we, much so. And they're meeting new challenges. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the men are meeting new challenges. They're mm -hmm. taking them on. Really, the foundation of it all is following Christ in a radical way. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and we all as Christians need that. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not religious. I need somebody to do that for me. Do you think the Senate is a timely thing in terms of listening? Oh, very much so. The, yeah. the, big, the big question and challenge is, are we going to do it? And, yeah. and by the we, I don't mean the big we, I mean the small we. Mm -hmm. if, if all of us individually do it, then, then maybe other people will become attracted when they see the fruits that come about. You know, it's like I occasionally preach about if, if you know, we've got 6 billion Catholics in the world, God knows how many Christians. Uh, what if we really one day, just, just for one day, really lived the way Christ called us to live? How changed would the world actually be? Mm -hmm. Wow. So I want to bring us back before we end to the Canon Law Society of America. You've been president, am I correct, yeah. of the CLSA? So you've served in many capacities uh, on committees, and, and, and you've written uh, our, recently our procedural handbook uh, on institutes and societies was revised. You had been the editor and, and a writer on the previous uh, version that came out, I think, 2000, 2000 was it? And then 2020 was yeah, the 20th but, anniversary. Yeah, it's funny because yeah, it was 20 years. Yeah, 
20 years. So, um, so you've seen changes. What, what would you say to somebody about why would they want to join the CLSA if they were either a student or, or a candidate? For me, it's two things, and I would say they're equal. I would not say one is better than the other. One is being with and interacting with colleagues. That, that has been such a treasure for me. And uh, then the other one is the ongoing development and formation as a canonist. Uh, I mean, what really uh, to my sisters and brothers uh, who've not been in for this too long, I was overwhelmed and thrilled at the convention in October by the youthfulness of the society. I'm <laughs> taken away with that. Right. Um, and um, actually, I remember when I was a a seminarian and Paul Golden was my first teacher in Ken Law and uh, him going off to CLSA meetings. And I was just so impressed that he was engaging in his ongoing professional development. His, you know, his witness to that was uh, a good thing for me. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've been blessed to have you as a member of CLSA for a number of years and uh, you've seen a lot of changes and um, any predictions on what the future of the CLSA will be? Well, I, I think it's in the direction it's going in that we will continue and improve on being not just a national organization, but international organization. That there are people from so many other countries that um, are members of the society and with you know, electronic developments and other developments as well, that we might be able to engage those members more. And here's another practical <laughs> sense of synodality that they can teach us that we, particularly in the cultural differences in a positive kind of way that, you know, that the, the American way isn't the only way. So what's in store for you in the coming months? You're still doing consultative work right now? Yes. Yeah, I've, I've been uh, blessed most recently now to be engaging a little bit more at the African Church. Oh, okay. Yes. So uh, assisting and uh, doing some consultation for, for some African bishops. And uh, so that's <laughs> a learning experience for me. Absolutely. We're never too old to learn, are we? You know, I remember as a young priest you know, being oriented to, to Paul University learning about something I never knew about before, ongoing learning, lifelong learner, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we can teach, and but we also need to always be open to learning, for sure. Yeah, right. mm -hmm. so, well, Father Mike, on behalf of the CLSA and all of our members, I want to, again, congratulate you on being our 2021 Roll of Law recipient. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you've done throughout the last almost 50 years for the church is, as a canonist and especially for the people of God, um, especially your eloquent acceptance talk, like I mentioned, and, and we've recorded that in the podcast. Please listen to it. We're getting ready to publish it in proceedings that will come out later this spring. Um, and the, your thoughts that you shared actually on synodality, I think, will be helpful to canonists as we prepare for that, you know, that important event in 2023. So thank you, Father Mike, and we hope that you continue to stay safe and healthy productive, and above all, happy. So thanks so much. Thank you, Donna. It was a great privilege uh, talking with you.
Okay, so until next time, goodbye to our listeners and God bless.